a golden god! An equal amount of blueberries in each muffin. To a new world of gods and monsters. <laughs> I don't know who's weirder, you or me. You just put the law in my hands. I'm gonna break your heart. Nobody puts baby in the water. Whatever you do, don't fall asleep. There is Hello and welcome back to Movies for Life. I'm one of your co-hosts, Brian Kuyper. Yo, Brian. I'm your other co-host, Michelle Aiken. <laughs> I had to do it. Sorry. <laughs> of course. I mean, why wouldn't you? All right. And this is one of our Friends Forever Favorites episodes. So in this corner, we have the host of The Pod and the Pendulum and co-hosts of the Psychoanalysis Podcast. You can find some new writing from him on Dread Central, some really great stuff. He's a man that drinks down a dozen raw eggs before his 4 a.m. run and who eats thunder and craps lightning, Mr. Mike Snoodian. I am so glad you didn't do my height and weight in that <laughs> introduction. I really appreciate that. No worries, man. Hello. So, welcome uh, to the show. Welcome. Yeah. How we... Yeah, how we doing? We're doing well. I am super excited to be here. I am really, really excited to talk today. Yeah, so reason for that excitement, right? What movie did you bring with us with okay. your, uh, to talk about with us today? So we are bringing, I think, what is like one of the best blends of like that 70s gritty street level cinema that we got that mm -hmm. like kind of crystallization of new Hollywood blended with like pure popcorn entertainment uh, with the number yeah. one movie of 1976, a little picture named Rocky might've heard of it written by and starring <laughs> Sylvester Stallone spawned five sequels and a spinoff trilogy featuring the character and like, who knows how many parodies and satires and other such right. nonsense. Yeah. I was thinking about that commercial. It was I don't even remember what the commercial was. It might have been Red Bull or something like that, where it's like, mm -hmm. it's claymation. It's like, cut me, Mick. One of Weird Al Yankovic's best bangers is uh, from the album In 3D, yeah. like Rye or the, the Kaiser. The Rye or the Kaiser, yeah, the theme from right. Rocky 13, yeah. <laughs> Which, <laughs> hey, we're not that far off, really, from having really a Rocky 13. <laughs> Oh, boy. But one of the things we always do when we have a guest on is we start out with what is your experience with this movie? What makes it one of your favorites? Uh, sure. So uh, as a guest, we'd love to hear your story first. Yeah. Sure. So I saw this series like way out of order. Um, oh, wow. Rocky Three was one of the early staples of like HBO and Cinemax back when cable was a brand new thing. Like Rocky Three was one of those movies that you could pretty much turn on a movie pay station and that movie was running in the early 80s. Mm -hmm. So I watched that a ton. Like I just got completely sucked in by like Thunderlips. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is pre-WWF Hulk Hogan. This is when he is running 
uh, with Vern Gagne in the AWA, who didn't want him in this movie because he knew if like the whole country gets a look at this guy, I'm probably going to lose him, which he did yeah. soon thereafter. But you get the introduction to Mr. T and Clubber Lang. So Rocky Three was outside of Star Wars, probably my favorite movie of young me. I watched that so many times. Um, Rocky Four, I got to see in movie theaters on Christmas Eve. I had like probably my uncle Ev is probably the person who got me into loving movies. Mm-hmm. He was the first person I know that had a VCR. So we would go over every Friday after school and he would watch my cousin and I, and he would rent movies like The Shining uh-huh. and Halloween 3 back when I was far too young to watch them. <laughs> Every Christmas Eve, he would take all of the cousins to the movies and and literally like 10 or 11 of us who would just have to take multiple cars and he would pay for everything because he would just let all the families get ready for Christmas. So like Flash Gordon, 9 to 5, all these movies I got to see in theaters again, way too young because he was like, I'm going to take them to movies I want to go see, Mm -hmm. um, and which was awesome because we wanted to, too. So Rocky Four, I saw in theaters, probably wasn't until maybe sixth, seventh grade that I watched the original Rocky, uh-huh. like on television at my grandmother's, like not even realizing he lost the fight. Right. Like mm-hmm. not even like, wait, Rocky loses? Like that's impossible. Like it's mathematically it's impossible. Rocky. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like I think I was doing mental gymnastics trying to be like, no, he actually won. They just got it wrong. <laughs> um, right. But I was just like sucked into I'd already loved the character and then was like blown away by how different that movie was compared to the other two. Like even at a young age, like realizing this is something different. I remember drinking raw eggs uh, the next day. (laughs) And I couldn't get a single one down. I don't to this day couldn't do it. I don't know. There's no way I I can't imagine. No. Drinking five raw eggs and then going for a leisurely jog at, <laughs> I can't imagine jogging. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, and this movie just stuck with me. Um, yeah. It was supposed to be, when I turned 40, the theater that I screened indie horror at every month. My wife rented it. Well, they actually gave it to her because we had done so much business there. Mm-hmm. They had this little screening room. We had a bunch of friends there. They had a little... Uh, ugly art museum next to it for a birthday reception. We were supposed to watch Rocky, but she accidentally grabbed the Rocky Five Blu-ray. <laughs> so we ended up watching my favorite horror movie, An American Werewolf in London. <laughs> but I just this movie has always stuck with me. I probably watch it every fall or every early winter. It's kind of a Christmas movie if you. Oh, squint. It is. It is. Um, yeah. Kind of a New Year's thing as well. Yeah, Yeah. as is First Blood, by the way. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Is tired. First Blood (laughs) is definitely a Christmas movie. That's a more wired take. But I would argue Cobra is a Christmas movie as well. I've never seen Cobra. I have to watch Cobra. You'll Um, you'll like Cobra. (laughs) This is just—it's just stuck with me. Like the characters. The under there's not a better underdog story. So I just always get choked up at the end when adrian runs into the ring and there's like they're swarmed by people but it doesn't matter like there's nobody else in the world you know and he's like where's your hat it's Mm. just a very cool little detail so yeah i love this movie so much 
so great. And I hear. only ever get to talk about horror movies. I know. So. Exactly. <laughs> I know. I'm super excited. That's been one of the cool things about doing the Friends Forever favorites is mm-hmm. giving people an opportunity to talk yeah. about those other movies that they love. Yeah, because we talk to a lot of horror journalists because, I mean, that's kind of so, a lot of the people we know, yeah. and they almost never pick a horror movie. Which I <laughs> to love. Bring. And so, we, yeah. 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 Some really great choices. In fact, I think I was on Psychoanalysis to talk about Frankenstein when I mentioned, hey, we're doing this Friends Forever Favorites things, and you were like, if you don't have me on to talk about Rocky. <laughs> just, yeah, friendship over. Yeah. There'll be no friends forever. That, that friendship is canceled. Yeah. And so it, it took us a little while to be able to arrange this because of lots of different crazy stuff going on, but we're so glad to finally have you here to talk about this yeah. movie. Yeah. Uh, so real quick, uh, Michelle, you have a fun story, actually, about oh this about your experience with Rocky. I had so. I had the best experience with Rocky. Okay, so this was not too long ago in 2019. I was just kind of scrolling through Amazon Prime one day and I noticed that they had put up the first five uh, Rocky movies up there on Prime. So I added them all to my queue and then I was like, <laughs> and I decided to tweet something out because I was like, I just added all the Rocky movies to my Prime queue because... I've never seen any of them before. <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's kind of the reaction that I was expecting. I was expecting people to be like, what? You haven't seen not even the first Rocky? But instead, everyone was really excited for me to see not only the first one, but pretty much all of them. So that kind of made me more intrigued to watch them. And so I pretty much mainlined the entire Rocky franchise in two-ish days so because the first night I watched Rocky one two three and then the next day I watched four five Balboa and Creed and then the next day I watched Creed two and it was kind of amazing because like every single one of the movies made me cry at some point <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. just absolutely all just all in the feelings that all of those movies um, were, were giving out the first one I was I won't say I was a little bit disappointed when I finally saw Rocky, but it was one of the, it's one of those movies that you sort of feel like you've already seen pretty much through like cultural osmosis, you know, <laughs> like you've you've heard the music and you've seen a lot of the iconic scenes and you know the lines and stuff. I still loved it, but it was like, oh cool, that's that's kind of what I was expecting. And then but then parts of it were not what I was expecting. Like I wasn't expecting to actually like lo- for Rocky to be so lovable. Like I wasn't really sure what his character was like, you know. And so that was kind of a surprise like seeing the way that Stallone played him, but yeah, just um getting to see all the Rocky movies and like I just felt so inspired after all that my whole little marathon. That was that's such a great experience. A great great way to see those movies, especially the first one and finally, you know, seeing it and falling in love with it too because it's like one of my favorites now too. I was really excited when you picked this because I was like, I want to talk about Rocky too. Okay, absolutely. <laughs> that was my experience. <laughs> And more or less, uh, that marathon is kind of one of the reasons this show exists, because it was after that. That was the first time Michelle and I really kind of connected on Twitter and <laughs> so and talked talking about movies, and we just kind of built from there. So, yeah. Yay. So, Rocky is one of the reasons for this show, in it a way. It helps bring um, us together. It just brings yeah. people together. It does. It fills gaps, it does. man. <laughs> 
my experience with Rocky was I remember going down to my grandparents' house. My cousin was there. He was all excited about seeing Rocky IV. Um, this was Christmas of 1985. And... I didn't really know anything about it. My grandma was an interesting bird. So she always said the same line about Rocky. Says, oh, I wouldn't cross the street to go see Rocky. Which I don't really know what that even means. But she was just like, oh, I just have no interest in that boxing movie. You know, that kind of thing. Or any of those sequels. So I just kind of never really saw it. It was just one of those things. I mean, I, w- I should have seen Rocky Four in the theater. I mean, there's just no real excuse for that it was just kind of i was kind of the perfect age for it and everything but was your um, grandmother a communist (laughs) no she was not but um i just watched rocky four this morning so that's really funny but it wasn't honestly until college Rocky was on the AFI top 100 greatest american movies list and so i thought you know it really is due time I finally saw Rocky, for goodness sake. So I watched it, and I thought it was fantastic. And I went through the series, the entire series that existed at that time. So I went all the way through five and kind of actually liked all of them, in at least oh, yeah. on some level. You know, I know that when we talk about some of the franchise, I think, you know, certain entries get more shit than others. And then uh, really liked Balboa when that came out and then the Creed movie. So it's just a franchise that I don't watch it a lot, but I really enjoy it when I do. Because I watched Rocky yesterday and was like, oh, hell, I'm going on to Rocky 2. And I just kept going. So I've watched 2, 3, and 4 as well. So That's the thing about this franchise is, and there are some horror franchises like this. Like whenever I watch... John Carpenter's Halloween, I immediately want to put on Halloween 2 because I just see that it's a continuation. But, you know, there are very few franchises where I want to go from movie to movie to movie. Like, I kind of want to just have a day off where I can start in the morning, watch the first Rocky, and then go all the way through Balboa. Or at the very Mm -hmm. least, go through part four in one day because you're really watching, like, one long character arc and it's a fascinating i have some notes here about kind of like where stallone's mindset is because he's not only starring in but he's writing all these movies and what his mindset is at the time as he's doing it and that's what's great about this series you just want to watch all of them and it's it's amazing how different they are when you get from one to four it's almost unrecognizable as a oh yeah it was amazing having seen you know obviously the sequels a little bit more recently to go back and watch this first one and realize oh this is really a 70s movie mm-hmm. we think of rocky as such sort of a quintessential 80s series in so many ways but this is a very 70s movie mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's one of the things that i was like wow this is really remarkable stuff okay so we're going to head into sort of the main discussion and i see you we uh we don't normally do like uh, community <laughs> notes uh, and boy you have got a lot in here Mike and um, we're just gonna kind of let you guide this conversation and we will hop in as we want to uh, you know 
dovetail and add and discuss, okay? Yeah, I can't so, do a show without notes. No, I, that's I, totally I fine. And I was like, I was like, I, and I should have known that having done, you know, many episodes of Pod and Pendulum now that I should have had that in my mind ahead of time. So uh, we usually go with, you know, individual right. notes on our own. So, I mean, so this is wonderful to see. I think, Brian, you were on the episode where I think I literally forgot the name of the show because I didn't have notes in front of me. <laughs> I literally was like, holy shit, I forget what what show this is so you should oh, know wow. how much i'm relying <laughs> well, i oh, guess good. well you're one of the busiest podcasters i know because i was i've i was in the slack channel and it's like man you were recording last night and the day before and so you've you've been on a marathon um it's, with recording in the past few days it's new england winter we need you know an excuse to stay inside <laughs> there um you go. i guess like the first thought i have before we even get into the meat of this movie is just like the mindset of Stallone. So when you, it's not only an underdog story about Rocky, but it's Mm -hmm. also like a Stallone himself is a huge underdog at this time. Like he's had supporting roles in like the Lords of Flatbush and uh, death race, but he's not a household name. Like he's not Stallone as we think of him. Uh, The, kind of iconic folklore behind this movie is that he has like $106 in his bank account when he writes the movie over a three-day weekend. He has to actually rehome his dog because he can't pay to keep his dog any longer. And he Uh writes this story. His buddy, uh, Henry Winkler, who, you know, he starred in uh, Lords of Flatbush with, with, has now gone on to be one of the biggest TV stars in the country uh, as the Fonz in Happy Days. And he sees a script. He brings it to producers. He brings it to ABC, who want to do it as a TV movie. And Stallone's like, great, but I get to star in it. And ABC obviously balked at that. And it took, like, Stallone was desperate to not have this movie made unless he starred in it. He really saw this as his vehicle to get over the, say, get over the top. No pun intended for the future. (laughs) Which I also saw in movie theaters. I love Over the Top. top. Are you kidding me? Um, I remember when it came out, but again, I missed that uh, one. Saw that in the theaters. I was a Schwarzenegger guy in those in those years. So. <laughs> Winkler actually had to use his TV clout as the fawn to say, like, he's going to give you back the money you've given him. He just wants his script back to reshop it. So um, studios are saying we'll give like five million, ten million to make this. But we want Burt Reynolds or James Caan or Robert Redford, which I don't think this movie war as, as great as those actors are. Well. Burt Reynolds would be a much different Rocky. That would be a very hard root Rocky to root for. Yeah. Um, the only one I could think of maybe pulling it off would be James Caan. Yeah. But I think there, like what works about Stallone's portrayal is he's a lovable palooka, but there is that undercurrent of he knows how the world sees him and he is mm-hmm. hurt by a lot of the comments. I think Khan would have been much more on the surface with that like James Conn's Rocky would have beaten the shit out of Polly about three times over <laughs> which right? I would have loved <laughs> I, hate yeah, Polly. I think we all would have. Polly's but, a little bit like uh you know what is his name in in the the guy he kicks the shit out of in the Godfather oh, yeah <laughs> James Conn you know yeah. he's got some of that so going on with him Stallone wins out but he gets like less than a quarter of what they had promised him to make this 
And he's really in the back of his head is like, if this movie fails, I'm screwed. Like, Mm -hmm. I won't have a career. And we're not talking about this movie today. We're not talking about the series or Stallone as, like, this really icon. So that's the first, Rocky. Part two, all right, I've had my shot. What if I'm a one-hit wonder? What if I can't Uh do this again? What if I can't be successful? Was it a fluke? Do I even want to try at this point? So in between the Rocky movies, he does Paradise Alley, which he writes, stars in, but also directs. And it's a flop. No one goes and sees it. Um, And this is like a year after having the number one movie in the country uh, and winning Best Picture. It's critically panned. They call it modeling. It's obviously, it's a movie about wrestling brothers and so it's compared to rocky for that sure. reason and it doesn't measure up by the third movie he's established he's had success with first blood but also like nighthawks and victory are both pretty moderate successes like victory in particular he's getting to perform with larger a-list cast salon's a star at this point and what ha- when you look at the third movie it's all about rocky being complacent It's all about, like, he's fighting people that are kind of beneath him. What happens when you run up against a brick wall buzzsaw like Clubber Lang? What happens when you're complacent and you don't have to scratch and claw and fight anymore? Can you even remain hungry? Four is communism is the worst, which, Brian, I wish your grandmother took a civics class. (laughs) um, But it's also this huge spectacle. You know, it's also, like, really the most quintessential 80s of all the Rocky movies. And you see Stallone like leaning into that spectacle. And he's about to go on this run where he does Rambo, First Blood Part 2, and Rambo 3, and Cobra. You know, you have all of these uh, over the top, I think would be, you know, replicating the Rocky (laughs) formula. But it's like, okay, we're going to lean into that. You get to Part 5 and like, look, I can't believe that they never made a Rocky 5. But if they did... You could see, oh, you could see, it's Stallone putting the character to bed and being like, "I want to get back to my roots. I want to be an actor." And you mm-hmm. see this run he goes on, and he tries to do things like Bugsy. You know, he's doing things like yeah. Copland. He does Daylight, which is kind of a, and he does. Um, I can't remember the one where he's on the mountain trying to get away, but it's really good. And I can't cliffhanger. Thank you. That's a that's a cool movie. But he's. Leaning away from those movies and going for more dramatic roles. And you see that. And by mm-hmm. Balboa, his star is considerably dimmed. Like he would be, quote unquote, past his prime. It had probably been about a dozen years since, I think it's like 11 years since Copland had come out. And that would have been his last real hit. We still love Stallone. We still watch all his own movies, but you weren't rushing to the theater. And Balboa was him asking, Do I still have anything to say? You know, and it led to a resurgence. Like, it was a huge hit. Then you get The Expendables. You get the next two Rambos. So what's interesting to me about Rocky is all of these movies, to me, mirror where Stallone's mindset is. Because he's an incredibly intelligent man. You hear him speak about... Oh, he absolutely He is not Rocky the character at all. And I think he's been associated so much with that character, you forget just how bright Stallone is. And now someone needs to pay me to write this article uh, so I can crystallize these thoughts. But. <laughs> yeah. You know, I actually wrote down some of the same kinds of things. There's so much that happens in the movie that we know is happening behind the scenes too. 
and like you said, it's not just the first movie, it's in the whole series. And and then even with the Creed movies, I know he didn't write those, he's, but he's, the role he plays in those as sort of the supporting role even has a, <laughs> has a bit of a real world reflection by that point. Now, I mean, he's just a legend. Um, yeah. Though I got to admit, I watched the show Tulsa King on Paramount. How Plus. is that? I thought it was pretty good. He's yeah. great in it. I mean, yeah. the show is good, but he is fantastic in it. Okay. Yeah. So it's it's definitely worth watching if you're a Stallone fan. It's almost like, what if Rocky never got his shot and ended up hanging out with the gangsters instead? Sure. You know, this is where he would end up. It's a little bit like that. Except, except that his character of Dwight is highly intelligent. <laughs> that's that's one of the things that uh, Stallone brings to it, too. Yeah, Tulsa Kings is a cool show. I, I liked it a lot. Yeah, I need to check that out. I've heard nothing but good yeah. things about it, so I definitely yeah. want to check that out. Okay, so let's just dive into the first movie itself then. Um, the thing about this movie is it's not a plot-heavy movie. That's one of the things that the sequels do a lot more. They're a lot more like it's about getting to this fight. This one is just so character-driven. So let's uh, maybe start there and take our way through You know what is going on with um, these characters and their relationships and how we react to them. I mean, Rocky himself, where his character arc, where he starts in this movie. You know, what do we think of Rocky at the beginning of this movie? I just went on a huge <laughs> rant, so I'm giving everybody else. <laughs> no, that's for you. <laughs> no, this is your, um, okay. like I said, this is... This is my soapbox. We okay. want you to be the one to guide this through. So what yeah. I really love about this movie is it feels like... Like, if you told me Herzog directed this, I wouldn't be shocked because there's this kind of just surface level, like, let's follow this character around and see what happens Mm -hmm. to the first hour and change of this movie. Like, it is, I think I paused it last night, it's like minute 59 or so when Rocky Mm -hmm. finds out he's going to get a title shot. And Mm -hmm. so much has already been established. You open this movie with this club fight between him and Spider-Rico and... Like, you know, said watching other Rocky movies out of order or knowing what you do about the series because you kind of know the movie Rocky without ever have seen the movie Rocky. It's just been part of the culture for so long. And you see a fighter that is like out of shape. He can't Mm -hmm. fight. He can punch, but like he has no footwork. Mm -hmm. You see him in between rounds, like gasping for air. People are telling him what a bum he is. And he's fighting for like 30 people in this little bingo hall. And you see this guy who's basically super broken down is Mm -hmm. what you see. You see him like basically like chain smoking throughout Mm -hmm. the first half of this movie, which is like kind of shocking to see when you think about Mm -hmm. this character. And he's a part of this community. And you see how tight knit this section of Philadelphia is is like everybody knows everybody. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's great, it's a little subtle thing and it's not overstated, when he's a thumb breaker for Gazzo, played by the great Joe Spinell. Joe Spinell, yeah. Just awesome in this role, like slapping Stallone around at one point. Yeah. But when he doesn't break the dock worker's thumb Mm -hmm. and it's one scene later, like it's already gotten around, oh yeah, the thumbbreaker that we brought to 
you know, take care. You don't have to respect the, you know, Gazo because he's going to send people that aren't really going to collect. Like no one's going to get hurt if you come up a few bucks short. That's already made the rounds. And it's only like minutes after because everybody talks. Everybody knows one another. Mickey knows Rocky's story. Gazo knows Rocky's going on a date with uh, Adrian. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Mere hours after Rocky does. He's like, you don't think people talk? You don't think I hear things? Like everyone knows everybody's business Mm -hmm. in this community. And everybody is... Like the bartender says, like, I've got a business to run. I don't need to take any shots. Like, everybody is complacent with uh-huh. where they are. Like, the only two people that are not complacent are Rocky, who doesn't think he deserves better, and Polly, who really doesn't deserve better, but thinks that he does. <laughs> right. And Polly <laughs> is one of those characters that's so different. He's he's completely unlikable in this movie. There's mm-hmm. not an ounce. Of, there's not a moment in this movie where he's where you have any empathy for the guy uh, that I can see. He was unlikable to but me then in the whole series. <laughs> well, in the I in never the sequels <laughs> in in the sequels they humanize him a bit more. Um, he marries a robot. <laughs> he marries a robot. Yeah, that's. <laughs> well, I I think there's a, there was a real missed opportunity in three. Personally, I mean, just to I don't want to tangent too much, but when I watched it, because it starts out with him, you know, just pissed off that uh, Rocky is so successful, and he goes and he sees the pinball machine and he throws the bottle at the pinball machine of Rocky and uh, he gets arrested and they really could have dealt with that, you know, that jealousy and stuff like that. And then he says, I just want a job. Oh, okay. It's done. And that's all over. You know, it's like, okay, (laughs) that's it. Because it's no longer necessarily about any of the characters. It's really about, you know, is Rocky going to win this fight? Like that's what the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, One and two really are character focused, especially one. Two even starts to get a little bit more boxing focused. But anyway, one of the things that I like is the way they introduce characters in this movie. It's almost like it's assumed that everyone already knows each other. So they just walk into each other's lives and they're just talking and they're having conversations like you drop down into the middle of these conversations like he already knows uh paulie when he walks into the bar and they just strike up the conversation and and says oh you should take my sister out or he's walking into the pet shop mm-hmm. and there's adrian just there mm-hmm. she's not really introduced you know yeah. it's not like this big moment where she comes in apollo creed is introduced over the tv mm-hmm. you hear the sound yeah. of the tv in the bar or it's like the world champion okay and then they have this conversation between him and Polly and him and the bartender. And then it goes back to them watching the interview of Apollo Creed. And then it goes back to them having this conversation. Then you hear over the audio again, no one has gone more than 12 rounds with Apollo Creed. And then you're out. And, but that's all the information yep. you really need to know. Yep. And that's one of the things that this movie is so 70s, uh. <laughs> you know, because I think if this was made in the 80s, there would have been more of that. Hey, here's Adrian. Hey, here's Polly. Hey, you know, that kind of They would thing. have had a meet cute, right. right? It would have. Yeah. And she would have fallen in love for him within their second or third meeting. Sure. Right. Right. <laughs> and here it's clear that they've known each other for some time uh, by the time they even go on that first ice skating right. date. You know without seeing that Adrian's life basically every morning and every evening he comes into that shop and 
tells her a joke and this is probably like the 400th <laughs> turtle <laughs> joke or pet store joke that she's right. heard that yep. she just like gently suffers and if this movie was made now there would be like 400 think pieces in a thousand it would be like rocky is a stalker a thread and then right. you would be like yeah. hey you've completely missed the point of this movie because right. you no longer know how to interact with people but that yeah. there's this glimmer of attraction that's between them and like one of the telling moments in it is like when adrian's boss you know tells her like i need you to go and like clean out the bird cages or whatever downstairs Mm. and he just looks up and you can tell he wants to say something because he feels like she's being disrespected but Mm. he also knows it's not his place Mm. yet to say anything but he gets that look and at that it's not a pretty one (laughs) that's right yeah (laughs) so one thing i liked about watching it this time too is like you know yes rocky is definitely an underdog movie and i was watching it like adrian's an underdog too And she wins Mm -hmm. kind of the same way that Rocky does. She starts out as the meek, you know, always keeping her head down and wearing those. I I think her glasses are adorable, but apparently you can't be pretty and wear glasses in movies. You always (laughs) have to take the glasses off. (laughs) And then when she finally opens up and lets Rocky in and they... Because he's the one person that's not going to put her down for the way she is. That's He's the one person that accepts her for the way she is and still loves her and likes her, you know, mm-hmm. for the way she is. Like, no, she's just shy. You know, what's wrong with that? And then by the end, you know, she's she's dressing up. She's standing up to Polly. And she's just more vivacious and more enjoying life because of the two of them meeting. So I, I love that she has kind of a low-key underdog arc going on as well. Well, they're the heart of the story. I mean, oh, they yeah. are really mm-hmm. the emotional core of the story in really the whole series. And I think one of the smaller but better moments of the film is when Rocky, it's like early in the relationship, and Adrian's kind of had this sexual awakening. Mm-hmm. Like she mm-hmm. has, you know, probably have been, has been a spinster or a virgin, and she's in her early 30s. And she gets a piece of Rocky, and she wants some more. <laughs> and he's training, and doesn't want and he's like and he tells her like go cook dinner and he comes off like polly in that moment and Uh you see she gets up and she does it because that's what she's been conditioned to do and he immediately regrets it gets up and apologizes Mm -hmm. you feel like it's probably the first time in her whole life someone has ever said like i am sorry i was wrong and it's a huge moment that is a great moment yeah so a couple of things with rocky and adrian the line that they use, they she's got gaps, I've got gaps, we fill gaps. You know, <laughs> yeah. that is so true. I mean, how they build each other up mm-hmm. and they sort of become more than the sum of each other's parts is um, really a beautiful thing. And you don't see a lot of relationships played that way in movies. And this one, even though I mean, it's how much screen time do we really have with the two of them? I don't really know, but it's just you buy it entirely i mean from that first date where it's thanksgiving night mm-hmm. you know she's made a turkey when polly comes over and throws a turkey out the window it's like oh my gosh what an asshole i get <laughs> full body chills too when he's holding that giant turkey leg because <laughs> yeah. i have a thing about like greasy sensations and i'm like oh, yeah. just picturing like the turkey juice <laughs> yeah. his, his sw- yeah. cigar stained 
hand yeah, and I'm gross. like, oh, he's so filthy. Yeah. Yeah, and I do like that they're relationship is very slow that it's not immediately like oh he's asking me out she doesn't want to for she's uncomfortable and she's not used to it and it's not something that she has much experience with and so they it's more realistic in that way that they do have to like grow more comfortable with each other and open up to each other more i mean it is kind of annoying (laughs) a little bit in like their first date where they're ice skating that I was like well he's just he's constantly like talking about himself he's not like asking her anything about her Mm -hmm. which is kind of annoying but it's also like that's that could be just like his nervous energy like he doesn't know what to say that's just kind of character he is Mm -hmm. he's he's always talking but he's never like really mean or egotistical about anything he's just that's just how he is and it seems like he's one of those people that feels like he always got to be talking and keeping up the conversation like because obviously Adrian's not going to as well Adrian's but <laughs> and she but she doesn't really seem to mind it because he's not Polly. he's not someone that's gonna berate and abuse her like she's been used to um he's actually just talking to her like a normal person and i think that's just what she needed and it yeah just has to had to take some time to build up to the get to that point where they're at the end and yeah. it's just the two of them at the end yeah i love that too that that's how the movie ends that moment i mean where the fight gets called and you know what was going through your head when that bell rang is <laughs> what the reporter says <laughs> and he just yells adrian you know i mean that's pretty on the nose but like the second true. the fight we, is over he's yelling feel for her. it yeah, yeah. And it's just the two of them. And I I chalk up Rocky constantly talking to that nervous energy. Mm. To that. Yeah, that's what what I meant. One of the only times, too, that, like, anyone is really listening to him. Because Mm -hmm. he's just a kind of this character that kind of everyone knows him. It seems like everybody kind of likes him. But nobody really takes into account anything he has. They don't think he has anything to say. You see that, like, at Mickey's gym. Like, his stuff is put into... Skid Row. Skid Row. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. What he calls like after six years when everyone asks like, oh, did you fight? He's like, yeah, I fought. It was really good. He's almost defensive. Like when they ask who did you fight, he's defensive because he knows he's fighting a guy that is like not up to snuff, like yeah. a guy who's well past his prime. So nobody takes him serious as a fighter. And it's the one thing he wants to be known for. So he finally has this person that is giving him all of their attention so he wants to get because his stories are ridiculous i mean like the whole thing about <laughs> why do you call it south paw right. south jersey because it's new jersey yeah you're like what that doesn't wouldn't it be pennsylvania because right just because pa but you're just like oh rocky you lovable scamp he's good at the dad um, jokes though i mean shell shock he really uh-huh. is <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um so I think that they make the really the core and like you you said watching Susan Sarandon was one of the persons originally considered and they're like she's too pretty which you could see mm-hmm. I mean this is yeah. like peak Susan I mean Susan Sarandon now is it's out of beautiful. pretty much yeah. everybody's league right yeah um and Talia Shire is like obviously a very beautiful woman but she was able to kind of turtle for the first half of this movie. Like it's not just that she's wearing glasses, but her whole posture is like concaved. She's almost like bent over. Like the act of her lifting her head to look someone in the eyes. It almost feels like her chin has been weighted down with like a 30 pound kettlebell. It takes that much effort for her to kind of look up and look someone in the face because 
a if kettlebell seen... named Polly, right? Yeah. Oh, because yeah. I think that absolutely. has so much to do with it. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So let's talk Polly. Let's, <laughs> you know, yeah, why does this we... character exist in this movie? Like, is it just to be a counterbalance? Like, this is the path Rocky could have gone down if he mm. didn't possible. get an opportunity or just, like, had less of a, a good heart? Because he sucks. He sucks awful. really bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... I don't know. <laughs> I mean, our introduction to the character is him in a men's room trying to comb the fading strands <laughs> right. of hair saying right. he wants to, he's like calling his sister a loser and saying I could split mm-hmm. her head open with a razor, which is a awesome. very, yeah. Great guy. We watching Terrifier 2 here. What's going <laughs> right. on? Right, right. Yeah, you know, that, I think that it probably is in a large way that counterbalance to, you know, if Rocky continues down this path, he's going to end up there. You know, by the time in, in Rocky 2, he's working in the meatpacking plant for a little while, too, mm-hmm. you know. So there's this idea there that Rocky could, you know, become. I mean, and you kind of wonder did Polly have something in him earlier? Did something happen to him or just the weight of life that happened to him to get to this point? And he just feels like he needs to control something. And the only thing that's near him is his sister. So he's sort of her overlord. I don't really know. He seems like just one of those life's not been fair to me, guys. You know, and so I'm pissed off at everything mm-hmm. and everybody. And like, why do you have a connection to Gazzo? Like, why can't I get in on that and make some money yeah. and make a life better for myself? Why do I have to live with my loser sister, you know, and take care of her because she can't get out and do anything for herself? I don't know. He's he puts the blame on everybody else except for like his yeah. attitude. Polly would talk a lot about being red pilled if this movie came <laughs> out in the oh totally twenties. <laughs> There's um, no doubt about that. Yeah. I, I think it's revealed at one point in the movie where Adrian said, like, the first time she kind of stands up to Polly when she says, like, well, he didn't get expelled from school twice. He didn't drop out of high school twice. You know, pointing that at, at Polly as someone who was kicked out of or dropped out of school a couple times and mm-hmm. still, full, you know, can't look and see. Like, when you look at what the home they live in like it's not a you know horrible it's a a, a little duplex but it's a cute little Mm -hmm. duplex much better than most in the neighborhood you know he's got a job that um probably has union benefits to Mm -hmm. it right i mean it's not an easy job but it's a steady wage it lets him afford that he has more than any like really more than any other character that you see he actually has more than them um but he's just still grasping and unhappy and there's that real Bitterness, and he says it in the movie. You owe me. You know, if if Rocky's catchphrase is "Yo, Adrian," Polly's throughout all of these movies is "You owe me." It's true, and that idea that life owes me is—it's just there's a lack of any sort of gratitude for anything. It's just embittered because of all of that, yeah. you know. And I think most of that bitterness is just lack of self-reflection, probably. Yeah. That it's also really hard, you know, to give. Polly a little bit of sympathy for a moment. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, he felt like he had it over Rocky and Adrian. At least he was at their level or slightly above them. And then in a very short period of time, he has to see his sister start to blossom and come on his own and start to leave him behind. Yep. And mm-hmm. his best friend is not only getting a shot at the 
world title, but also getting like a life-changing sum of money at the same time. And Polly is still Polly. Like he's still in the meat plant. He can't even get like, can I get a job just bringing you towels? You know, he's not asking right. like, can I train you or be, he's like, can I just get a job being your gopher boy? And Rocky's like, I just don't have any. Cause he recognizes like Polly will fuck that up. You know, but he's <laughs> smart enough. Like Rocky might not be book smart, but he's very intuitive and he's very good mm-hmm. at reading people. And he knows like anything I give this guy, he will fuck this up. Yeah. Am I allowed true. to curse on this show? Yes, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. And Polly doesn't <laughs> seem like a guy that would be happy sometimes with he's pissed off and yelling at Adrian to get out of the house and go live her life and mad at her for being a spinster and probably a virgin. And then later on, he's mad that she and Rocky probably had sex. <laughs> I was like, which one? Mm-hmm. Which one is which? it? <laughs> what do you want her to be? <laughs> which now I think of it, they probably haven't, though, because when, you... sure. yeah. mm-hmm. when you see when she becomes his roommate, he's sleeping on the couch. Mm-hmm. Like she's alone in bed and he wakes up on the couch that morning that you see him go to the spectrum to check out the ring. Like he's still Mm -hmm. respecting whatever boundaries. And maybe it's just a factor of like, well, I'm in training and women weaken legs as Mickey likes to say. Um, But that is a boxing thing. Like that is a Uh known thing that like boxers won't engage in, in sex before a big fight because they think it will sap them of their powers so right that's like in detail in raging bowl like when mm-hmm. he uh pours the ice water down his pants yes <laughs> yeah. um what do we think of the relationship with I, I would say in the first hour the only person that shows rocky any sort of kindness or regard is gazo yeah it's true it's it's interesting you know, like and he hears that he's even though he sort of chastises him, you didn't break that guy's thumbs, mm-hmm. but you're going on a date with Adrian. Here's 50 yeah. bucks. You know, enjoy yourselves. It's it's true. And then he, he's like, you know, hey, are you going to be at the fight? And he's there at the end, mm-hmm. too. And it's um, it's so really a, good a fascinating element. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Lone <laughs> Shark. Lone Shark, I guess yeah. he is. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, gangster. this is... This is post-Godfather. I mean, so gangsters had been maybe a little bit romanticized in film (laughs) by this point, you know, so. Well, his other (laughs) guy, Buddy, is not a good one. (laughs) He hates Rocky for some reason. Take her to the zoo. (laughs) Still. (laughs) I don't like your face. so inappropriate. (laughs) Did you get the license plate? Yeah. Of the car that ran over your face. Yeah. Yeah. He's Uh, taking dad jokes to an extreme. Um, Well, but there's like a a version of this movie where you could see where like Gazo is going to bet everything he has against Rocky, you know, because he knows he doesn't have a chance. But he's there encouraging him. Like, he doesn't have to. He's like, you know, like, "Eh, it's 500 bucks. Don't worry about it. And it's not a loan. It's not something he has to pay back. It's just that. You know, and he even says like, you know, your whole life you really have never had a shot, and I think, I think this is going to be your shot. Make the most uh-huh. of it. He's really, and he's the one who gets him to quit smoking. He's like, wait, right? Just, you're in training. You know, you're Take in training. Yeah, yeah. Spinell is so good. I yeah. mean, oh. he really is so good in this little little role. Yeah. He's the only one that shows him any sort of, any sort of kindness or Respect. or believes in him yeah in any way shape or form and i love that i mean you could see a version of this movie where like gazo and his heavies like say you're gonna throw this fight like you're going down right. and 
round Actually two. Do a whole you know, but thing, yeah. It never enters the picture because it's not that movie. It really is, like you said, Brian, a 1970s character study. Yeah. But you can see how it's his relationship with Gazzo that Mickey doesn't understand. That's the reason why Mickey is not as willing to take on Rocky for mm-hmm. a while to, to train him because he, he doesn't respect what he does for him, which is understandable mm-hmm. too, but yeah. And we got to talk about Mickey okay. because uh, Mickey is, I mean, did you have something you wanted to add about, uh, about, uh, Spinell's character there. Or? No, just that, like to your, it kind of ties into Mickey. It's just like, well, Mickey's not doing anything for Rocky. Like Rocky doesn't exactly. really You're know right. Mickey, and he even says, like, I went to you for help ten years yep. ago, and you never listened. Like, what is, yeah. you know, he's like, it's a living. Like, what is Rocky supposed to do? Like, this is like a job that, you know, for all of Rocky's flaws like he does have a little apartment in uh-huh. a pretty cool city <laughs> and he can i guess go to basketball games because he wants to take her to the spectrum for the sixers but like there's not a lot of opportunity yeah. that's going to be out there and which is why i think this movie is very much like and that you know, the texas chainsaw <laughs> massacre and that you see what happens when there's not economic opportunity and that yeah. scene at the, yeah. the first fight with uh with spider rico you see that fight what he goes through gets him what 40 bucks 40 bucks wow <laughs> totally worth yep. it you know yeah by the time like 65 bucks and by the time like all the tax and, and corner and yeah. cut man and all the fees yeah yeah, and I don't think there's any legally binding contracts there either. You know, <laughs> no, I'm but sure there's he, not. He gets that forty. He's like, when can I fight again? Like that's yep. the only thing he wants to know is like, when can I get back in the ring? And at that point, is it just like, is there a sense of fighting for the sake of being punished in some mm-hmm. way too? Um, I know that's not really what this movie is about. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what Raging Bull is about, but. That is, I think, maybe an interesting sort of underlying something in that line where he's like, when can I fight again so I can get the shit beat out of me again? Mm -hmm. But it's probably the only time he feels alive, too. He feels like he's doing Mm -hmm. win, lose, or draw. He's doing what he wants to do in his own terms. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, you know, I get a sense that Mickey feels that way a little bit, too, but now he's too old to do it. Because he, what, like when, okay, so obviously they have those interactions earlier on where it's like, you're a bum and you're not worth anything. And then, you know, mm-hmm. after he gets the shot, that scene when Mickey is just, he looks so small walking up that stairway yeah. to Rocky's apartment and he, and he knocks on the door and then he just comes in and starts telling him stories about, yeah, I got this vegetation on my mm-hmm. ear from, <laughs> you know. I can't not do a Burgess <laughs> Meredith impression when I'm talking about. Can you do Mickey? a Burgess Meredith as the penguin? <laughs> Are we able to? Wow. <laughs> um, but you can tell that he has a whole speech rehearsed yeah. mm-hmm. and he can't read like Rocky at all. Like Rocky is like looking at his bills during this he's rolling his eyes he's like turning he's like look at this picture and rocky turns away and he just still launches into this he's like oh rocky marciano you remind me of rocky marciano and rocky's like well i've got a heart but no locker saying like look <laughs> i know why you're here and i'm not having it right yeah. now right mickey showing him a picture of him in his prime mm-hmm. as a boxer and is like, you mm-hmm. never gave me an opportunity mm-hmm. to have my prime. Like, why should I give you a chance now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do love that. He is very, Rocky is very good at reading people and like doing what he knows he's owed, like and standing up for himself a little bit, you know? 
against Mickey because mm-hmm. Mickey is being very opportunistic in, in this moment and wanting to he train is. him. And, and he's and Rocky is and, on it, which, yeah, I love that about him. Yeah. Well, Mickey knows he's being opportunistic, yeah. Oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that, that line when he just sort of standing at the door and he goes, and he just, all the bullshit falls away and he just says, I'm 76 years old. You know, I don't and have anything an, left. And it's an old 76. Like, it's yeah. a 1970s 76 <laughs> where, like, yeah. you've been powered by, you know, like, Schlitz and Marble <laughs> right. Reds for, like, exactly. 40 years. <laughs> so he looks much... Because my mom is 77, and yeah. she looks like she could take Burgess Meredith in a fight. And she's oh, not a, yeah, I, I, you know, I know what you looks mean. much younger. Right. Like 76 well, now doesn't seem yeah. old yeah. necessarily People's, anymore. Oh, yeah. My dad's 73 and people are like, he's in his 50s, right? It's also important to remember that like Rocky turns down the fight. I love that. Yeah, I love first. that. He's like, he's like, I don't have a chance. He even knows like it's absolutely ridiculous for anyone to imagine me being in the ring and, it, and this is a time, like, it's hard to impress on audiences now how important being, if you were the heavyweight champion of the world, like, you were the number one sports celebrity right. in America. Like, you would basically, you would be Kevin Durant, LeBron James, mm-hmm. Tom Brady. Like, you were it. And that's why when, you know, Sonny Liston beat Floyd Patterson for the title, yep. there was such scandal because Sonny Liston was the... Mike Tyson of his day with maybe more ties to organized crime. It's why, you know, Cassius Clay changing his name to Muhammad Ali was such a scandal because this is our number one celebrity and he's doing what? Um, Plus he's like not conducting himself like a champion with the taunting and the rhyming and the way he acts. Like it was huge to be the boxing world champ and Rocky knows like, I don't belong in this. It's going to be, a month of cheap shots and I'm going to get my face. He says, I'm going to get my face kicked in, Mm -hmm. which that might be his first problem as a boxer. If he thinks he's going to get kicked. (laughs) (laughs) But again, yeah, he knows he's being played. Yeah. Or not being played, but mm -hmm. being used, being used for a show for Apollo Creed. Yeah. Why do you both think he eventually runs out and hat and agrees to Mick training him? I thought a lot about this. I honestly think there are two reasons, I think. One of them, you know, Rocky just goes on that rant, you know, where he starts yelling, you know, it's like, I'll fight the champ. I'll get my face kicked in. Like you said, this stinks. This whole thing stinks. This whole place stinks. Everything, this place where I live. And then he starts realizing where he is at. And it's like, I'm nowhere. There's nowhere I can go. And I don't have a trainer. I either got to do it myself where I don't really know what I'm doing. I think it's clear that he doesn't really know what he's doing. And second of all, it's like you've mentioned before, Rocky's heart. He's just a good guy down inside, and he recognize he can recognize when someone needs needs him, and will just come to their aid because that's just kind of the guy he is. I think is part of it as well. Like you think Mickey needs him in a way too? Yeah. Oh, Mickey definitely needs him. I think that's the point of that whole scene mm-hmm. because Mickey would have been like. Yeah, whatever. I'm not going to go to that guy. He really has to humble himself to get himself to walk up those stairs to his apartment to essentially ask him to let him trade him. Kind of feels like a maybe maybe one last chance for both Mickey and Rocky is maybe part of Mm -hmm. the reason why he chooses to do the fight. Yeah. 
I mean, everyone in this movie, except for Apollo Creed, is an underdog, mm-hmm. it right. seems like. You know, at least on some level. So, and Did you catch, like, his trainer is in the crowd during the first fight? Like, he's actually... Because we're going to talk about Apollo, I guess, in a minute and how he doesn't take this fight serious right, yeah. at all. Like, you don't see an ounce of training from Apollo Creed. Like, not a... And it's huge mm-hmm. change from the first to the second movie. To the second movie, yeah. yeah. Um, but his trainer, like, Duke, is actually watching, like, on a Friday night these like stumble bums kind of move around the ring and maybe right. it's to mm-hmm. find some sparring partners, but it's also probably a guy that just loves the sport. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, mm-hmm. who will seek it out. This is a movie without a villain, which I think is really mm-hmm. yes. interesting because Apollo Creed is not a bad person. Not at Apollo all. Apollo Creed is not his obviously patterned after Muhammad, Muhammad Ali, Ali yeah. uh, with like the fast talking and like the shuck and jive and the way he moves in the ring. Mm-hmm. But this is like Ali post Vietnam war where he was embraced by the country and em- especially after the um, fights with Frazier mm-hmm. and uh, the fight with Foreman, the rumble in the jungle where, right. yeah. you know, this would have been Ali at his, not his peak, but his near peak. You have an antagonist in this movie that is actually pretty awesome. Like, it's very hard not to like, you know, be a thinker, not a stinker. Just it's hard not to like just the (laughs) charisma magnet that is Carl Weathers in this movie. Oh, yeah. And and frankly, I mean, it's just cool that he's given this shot out there you know it's and it just happens to be you know this character that we've been following through of course because he likes his name the italian <laughs> stallion know, the italian stallion who discovered america an italian <laughs> and we're doing this yeah. in the bicentennial year or something yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Like that scene. if he yeah. can't fight he can cook <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right and the thing is that you know they build on that too throughout the series because you know by three they become buddies. Yeah. Mickey must die so Apollo can right. fly. I know. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yeah, Apollo Creed is just such a dynamic character and so a very supporting role. I mean, it's mm. there's not that much time that we spend with him, but you just see the contrast to Rocky as well because you know you've got Rocky's apartment compared with Creed's office, which is like this which is big way bigger than mm-hmm. that apart, whole apartment yeah. and you know it's got all these right. beautiful furnishings and stuff he's on the always wearing suits yeah. he's talking he's he's talking about taking like getting tax breaks from you know toronto accountants like he can set up right. these tax shelters and you're like when is the last time do you think like rocky filed like a 1040 if yeah. ever right <laughs> yeah um so you have in that that great line when when his trainer when Bill Duke is watching Rocky on TV like fighting or you know using the cows as basically as his as his punching bags he's like right. yo I, this guy doesn't know it's a show like he th- it he means business yeah. and you just hear this dismissive yeah yeah I mean business too like not even paying attention mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. how he means the business of advertising mm-hmm. himself. <laughs> Yes, which is yeah. great. I mean, you kind of have, have to, to do Absolutely. that. That yeah. is it's part of it. Right. But at the same time, you need to be able to get in that ring and get ready yep. to get, you know, punched in the jaw for 45 minutes as well. And he's in no way ready to do that. No, not at all. And you see that, I think, moving on into sort of these key moments. I think this part of the movie is what people think of when they think of 
Rocky. You know, they think of the training montage. Him, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get him up in the morning. That four a.m. alarm goes off. He sits up. He walks over. There's the glass just sitting there on top of the fridge, and he pulls out the five eggs and just cracks them in there. Drinks it down. <laughs> I mean, come on, that's. Yeah. I'm never going to try that, but it's, no. I don't recommend it. <laughs> yeah. Sound good. No, but then just, you know, that first scene you know, where he's just basically stumbling up the steps by the end, he's just exhausted. And I think the key to that scene, he doesn't make it to the top of the steps. Exactly. Like when you see him turn around, there's one more riser to go and it's yeah. only about eight to 10 steps. Yeah. He's that close. And you also get a, they do a really good job of marking the transition from like early, early morning to dawn. Because when he starts his run, the only other vehicle that's out are the persons that are dropping off the morning papers. Papers, That's probably like three, three 30 in the morning before in the morning based Mm -hmm. on like when I used to do that in college. And by the time he's done running, you start to see the first hints of traffic. You start to see the sun come out. Like the sky is, pinkish blue so he's been at it for well over an hour at this point and he's so close to his goal i just want to get to the top of these stairs and he quits one flight below where he's supposed to he's just like can't do it you see him like grasping at his side and like stumbling down and Mm -hmm. it's sad and you're like oh this dude's fucked yeah Yeah. well i mean and that whole idea of just i mean literally going the distance right Mm -hmm. Um, because ultimately that ends up being his goal, not to win, but to just go the distance with Mm -hmm. Creed. And here you have the, you know, contrast to that where he can't get up that, that just that last little bit um, of a literal distance too. It's, it's really heartbreaking. And then the contrast of that, of course, is the second one, you know, where that's the one that everyone remembers, right? That's what it's stuck in the whole training montage. Sure. <laughs> and you're right. In all the other movies, they show the other guy training, too. You know, so they cut back and forth between the two of them. Uh, they got just to Dolph make... Lundgren on the juice. <laughs> right. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> Whereas here, it's just Rocky against himself. It's kind of profound when you put it into that, because that's what this movie really is. It's a guy. It's more of a than a guy against a, an opponent it's a guy against himself in a lot of ways yeah. um, what did he tell adonis the, the, it's oh sorry i watched creed last night that's what, exactly what he tells adonis in in creed it's like that guy in the mirror that's your opponent you yeah. know yeah and that's the kind of things you know, that brian what, and i have talked about that we really like about like boxing movies wrestling movies mm-hmm. not a movie about like a team sport but about an individual sport those are the ones that kind of always have intrigued me the most because it is like your your opponent is yourself and it's it's all you you have to that you have to uh, put in all of your effort and all of your heart to get to where you want to be at the end that's exactly what rocky does oh totally agree that uh those montages are also good for i think it's one of those movies where like the city is a character too so it's great to show a bit of philadelphia of him Kind of his like down and dirty way of training, probably as opposed to what we would probably see Apollo Creed training, you know, with all these mm-hmm. people around him in a really super nice gym. You know, no, it's just Rocky like yeah. running they, the actual streets. The palatial gym, that's yeah. about it. Yeah, it's, it's Rocky just, you know, running along the dirty streets of Philly <laughs> on his own. Yeah. And I mean, you see beat. that. You see him, he's running along the docks, he's mm-hmm. running, 
you know, at these, you know, along trains. It's not great looking scenery. He's like running through like really like a slum, you mm-hmm. know, for lack of a, a better word. But in his gym is just dusty, sweaty. All the equipment is kind of broken down. But it, it's probably that in some ways gives him an edge because he has yeah. a lot yeah. less to lose. He got, he's got the eye of the tiger. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you mentioned looking in the mirror, like one of my favorite shots in this movie. It's after the Rico fight in the captain. And number Mm -hmm. one, you see just how hard it is for this guy to move around. You see just how tired and broken this dude is. But he glimpses very quick at the picture of like eight year old Rocky. Mm -hmm. And you see there's just like this, the self loathing that is in his look as he's looking at that picture and wondering like, what did this eight year old kid think his life was going to turn out like? And I don't know what it would be, but it wouldn't have been this. And you see him wrestling with every choice, every decision, everything that had gotten him to that point. And he has to actually take the picture and put it. So it's out of his line of sight. Like it's off the mirror. The next time you see it, like when Adrian spots it, because he just can't bear to think of like this eight year old kid who had all this potential and this is where it wound up. Yeah. And again, I mean, that's what makes this movie a great uh, differentiates it as being such a 70s movie, because I don't think you have that moment in an 80s version of this movie. Also, there's another one where the character of Marie Who's in that one scene. She's in that one scene and it's like they're just showing them walking and he's giving all this advice to her Mm -hmm. that he doesn't keep himself. Right. right? And he can't follow himself. And the way it's done is like this. You can imagine it's because it's handheld. It's not steady cam like it would be. You know, just a few years later. No, steady cam. This was the third movie that Mm -hmm. used steady cam. Yeah, that that run along the dock yeah. like that's that's no we're using there actually this probably was I'm sorry to jump in that probably no, was handheld but like there was I know the montage uh, the run the jog was steady cam was steady cam right. yeah yeah the fact that they didn't use it in that scene mm-hmm. with with him and Marie because you can tell it's it's wobbly it's really shaky and you can imagine the cameraman just being walking backwards mm-hmm. you know and being held on to by by a grip or something to make sure <laughs> he doesn't fall over right because mm-hmm. it's really this shaky thing you know and I I don't know. That just the authenticity and sort of grittiness of that is really felt heavily in this movie. Mm. You know, there's it's not as polished. And I love that about it, actually. I think that it reflects the characters a lot more, too, because it's not polished. And, you know, John G. Avildsen, who directed this one before this, I think his only really big success was Joe. Have you ever seen Joe? Uh, have not Peter Boyle that's a tough movie <laughs> that's a really gritty movie in fact um, you know sort of an exploitation grindhouse drive-in movie with Peter Boyle as a sort of right-wing gun nut the I have a poster for the last house on the left here and it says it's just across the street from Joe because oh, they wow. were us- okay. they were using that movie to sort of advertise these other grindhouse movies which I thought was interesting so I, I saw that a few years ago and it's a fascinating movie. Very young Susan Sarandon, you know, yep. speaking of Susan Sarandon, yep. uh, is in that as well. It's an interesting movie. It's a tough movie, though. And it's so far removed from what this movie is. Mm-hmm. 
And then, you know, later he goes on and does more, you know, things like the Karate Kid trilogy, which, which you know, is uh, Rocky, Rocky with Karate. <laughs> exactly. So he's a little bit of an underdog director himself, you know. Mm-hmm. He hadn't had a lot of big successes. So I, I and certainly wouldn't be my the first person I think of when I think of you know, an underdog sports movie. Mm. So I think that's kind of a fascinating thing. And I don't really hear him talked about a lot in conjunction with this movie because Stallone has sort of taken the narrative, I think, a lot. And it's made it a lot about his story, which, hey, I get it. (laughs) But so I think, though, Avelson gets lost a little bit in the discussions of these movies. No, I think you're right. I I definitely see that because I forget that, oh, yeah, Stallone didn't, direct this movie he just yeah. wrote it and starred in it and it wins best picture but mm-hmm. avlitson doesn't win best director i think he's nominated but doesn't win best director which is relatively rare in hollywood yeah, it is uh, usually it's kind of a foregone conclusion the two are going to go hand in hand and i'm looking at his filmography you know he comes back for rocky five he does the karate kid trilogy in between and then there's like things like eight seconds. Yeah, you know? I saw eight seconds. Um, Another sports movie. <laughs> and that's really, really it after yeah. that. Like that's yeah. aside from like a couple direct to video things and a video is like that's really a swan song. But again, this is also a movie that is not a flashy directorial movie either. Mm-hmm. It's not. I mean, think of the other the flashy directorial movie of 1976 was Taxi Driver. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that was. That was declaring a director, you know, is uh, a really great director is out there. This movie was saying we, we, I think this movie is saying it's interesting. It kind of toes the line between being a 70s movie and moving into something new, you know, Mm -hmm. because it ends on these hopeful tones. I mean, it ends somewhere positive. I mean, the world is ready for Star Wars by this point, you know, the next year. It's sandwiched between two of the biggest popcorn movies of all time. It's yeah. sandwiched between Jaws in 75 and Star Wars, Wars. in 77. Yeah. And you can almost see it getting lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Um, you know, there's another a world where like Rocky is just this movie we remember fondly. Uh, if it wasn't for having like so many sequels that right. kind of blew up the formula a mm-hmm. little bit. Yeah. Even though this one is very different than those. One thing that I found myself really liking this time around again was that it's a very quiet movie for most of it. Mm-hmm. Like that first hour. I love, I like, I, I always loved the, the title card is like huge. It takes up the whole screen and just says mm-hmm. Rocky, but then the opening yeah. credits, I, no, I like that. I think it's cool. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I, you, that was my first note. In fact, oh, was, I thought you like rolled it, your eyes. I was com- like, what? <laughs> no, you're just, yeah. you're just completely taken in. You know, that Rocky yeah. goes across the screen. You're hearing, you're hearing the fanfare, the dun, dun, uh-huh. dun, 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 dun. I mean, mm-hmm. you, I mean, it's, it's sort of instantly you're there. Uh-huh. I mean, you're, Hold into that. But then the actual so. opening credits are, are very quiet. There's no music under it. It's just Rocky, I think, just like walking around the street, like petting a dog or something. And I remember. And it's just. Bouncing his. Yeah. The, the racquetball. And so it just the kind score of. score itself. Yeah, it leads into it. This is yeah. more of a character movie than a flashy sports yeah. movie. I mean, Brian, you could probably speak to this better than I can as like uh, a music know. major, but like. <laughs> The whole motif of the score itself changes uh-huh. from at the point that like Rocky gets Butkus, like when Adrian shows up and she's in that the boots and the red coat and she gets Butkus. Like yeah. 
and you're starting to see like for the first time people are not only just talking or like rooting for him like yes mm-hmm. you see mm-hmm. what a little bit of like encouragement and what a little bit of positive reinforcement can do to a person because uh, he's just the way he's running that first scene where he's running with butkus is awesome yeah um but the whole score shifts it goes from like minor to major notes it's much yep. more uplifting it's much more because there are there of moments in the soundtrack where it's so quiet and mm-hmm. so understated and really beautifully done by bill conti Conti. and then it shifts to this mix of orchestral and 70s funk that are melded together and it shouldn't work yeah but it's just i don't can't explain why but it just does and weirdly it doesn't really date it that much a lot of times when pop music and i think this happens in the sequels when pop music is married into the um, the score, it just or pop sounds, I should say, that really dates the movie. You know, right. so it's like this is definitely an eighties movie kind of feel or whatever. But for some reason, I think in this case it really works for me, and it still works, uh, even though it's got you know that that funk, you know that wah wah guitar going on in it. I uh, defy you to hear the music from Rocky and not just get a little ramped up, you know? Oh, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> it, you just it, want it to is... run through a wall. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's so, still and, so recognizable, too. That's from well, Rocky. Well, one of the yeah. things that's beautiful about it, yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that's beautiful about it, like you said, I mean, it starts out with the fanfare, but then it gets really quiet, but it's that same theme carried through. da 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 Just mm-hmm. done quietly it's it's reflecting sort of the place he is you know and then that training montage it's like he's at his full strength this is the declaration of he has arrived and it's just full force mm-hmm. and um you know the way he just takes those steps you know three at a time running up the art museum steps all the way to the top you know throwing his hands up in the air in front of all of philadelphia i mean that I got a little teary in that moment. <laughs> sure. I could not and, help it. I mean, it's like, how can you not in that moment, I think? It's a moment that is so iconic. I think the end of Balboa over the credits, they show persons like just literally running, running up, up yes. the steps. Yes, it's Balboa. Yeah. Okay, I was, everybody... I was trying to remember which one that was. Because, no. yeah, oh, God, that made me so, cry so hard when I saw yeah. that for the first time. Yeah, because <laughs> it's just you associate it so much mm-hmm. with that movie. I want to talk about his speech before the fight when he comes back Absolutely. from because mm-hmm. he's had all of this build up and you can see his confidence grow and when he goes to the arena and sees the portrait is wrong yeah. mm-hmm. and there's an urban legend or <laughs> yeah. a behind the scenes legend that that and i don't know if like like it really was a mistake that the artist made it was yeah yes so they threw that line in or it was supposed to be red and white. The artist got it right. And then Stallone called an audible (laughs) at the last minute. But you see when that happens and you see when, when the, and I can't think of the um, promoter's name at the moment when he says like, you're going to give him a great show. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All of that confidence is then undercut. Like you see his knees kind of go out from under him in that moment. And when he comes back and this is this, movies and i think stallone eventually years later had to settle with chuck wepner because for years stallone talked about how he saw chuck wepner fight muhammad ali 
and he made it to the 14th round and he actually knocked Ali down as well, which was rare. Yeah. Um, Stallone talked about it so much. Wepner eventually said, I should be getting paid because you took my life story (laughs) and they had to settle for some sort of amount. Um, but when he comes back, he's like, no one's ever gone the distance with Creed. If I can just do that, I know I'm not good enough to beat mm-hmm. him. But if I can stand there and basically take an ass kicking for 15 rounds is yeah. what. If I can just get the snot beat out of me for 15 rounds, I know that I've accomplished something. Because nobody thinks I can even do that. And it's powerful because it takes a lot more courage to get in the ring knowing that you can't win mm-hmm. than it does thinking you have a puncher's chance. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Like it just takes a lot more courage to know, like, I'm not going to win this fight no matter what. Yeah, it's, but I just want to give it the best shot. It's him being just kind of maybe more smart and self-aware and having a realistic mm-hmm. goal that he knows he's put the work in, that he can at least do that. And that'll be enough if he can make yeah. it all the rounds. No. That's a smart way to look at it. And maybe he even knows that like he doesn't even necessarily have to beat him to make something of mm-hmm. himself and make a name for himself that he just has to mm-hmm. do better than what everybody thinks he's going to do because they think that he's only going to yeah. last like three rounds right. with him. And that's actually, I think that's a better that's just, better way to look at the situation than to be like, I'm going to kick his ass, no. you know, then then you're really going to lose. He, I don't think he would have made it if he would have had that attitude, you know, right. have been too egotistical. Yeah, Adrian's response is beautiful, too, because she's like, not, yes, you are, you're going to win, you've trained, she's like, you've trained so hard, what are we going to do? Like, what do mm-hmm. you need from me yeah. in this moment? She doesn't try to fill him with this false confidence yeah. or false bravado, she's like, You've worked really hard. And Brian, is, again, like going back to being an educator, I know you and I have probably sat down with students that really struggle. Yeah. And one of the things, I actually had this talk with a kid in eighth grade this week where I told her, I'm like, you're way smarter than you give yourself credit for. You don't try because if you try and fail, you think you've let yourself down. Like if you come in every day mm-hmm. and just give it everything you have, even if you fail, if you've given your best effort, no one can take that away from you. Right. And that's all you need to do is just look at yourself and the day is over and say, today I did my best. And if you can do that, yeah. nobody can take that away yeah. from you. Yeah. And in my... As I start sobbing here. No, I no, I show. got you all. And in, and in my job, I'm kind of like, you know, I'm a specialist. I'm not a mm-hmm. classroom teacher. So, And what I do as a music teacher, it's... It's a very subjective kind of thing in a lot of ways. And I'm open with them about that. And I say, you know what? For me, if you come here and you try and you work really, really hard, that goes a really long way no. for me. If you don't get every mm-hmm. note right, but you did no. your absolute best and you're working at it, mm-hmm. you're going to be okay. Don't worry no. about it. I mean, I, I don't like inflate their grade or something like that. <laughs> right. That's not what I'm trying to say. A plus. Yeah. But, <laughs> I, but I am saying I'm like, you know, you're. But they're not going to fail. You're not going to fail. Yeah. And as a, a counselor, yeah. I remind kids like you might not have to do algebra when you're 25. Right. But you are going to have to get up on days when you don't want to mm-hmm. and face the world. You yeah. are going to have to navigate situations where you disagree with people and feel passionate about those disagreements but still need to respect one another that's what i try to teach kids as a counselor and it's 
difficult. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's no doubt about that. Well, now sure. I'm feeling very I mean, we just, introspective right now. <laughs> sorry. We just, <laughs> That's we do a thing <laughs> called fine dining, fine dining Fridays at lunch. And my least favorite duties at school as a counselor are morning lineups where I got to watch over the third and fourth graders sure. and get them in line and lunch duties. It's just so loud. Yeah. And for the past couple of weeks, I've been giving fine dining, like not to the best tables because it would be the same two every week, but like the kids that have tried the hardest to be cleaner and nicer and have talked them up and the looks on their faces when they get it, they're like super, super pumped. Cause they no get, doubt. Yeah. they get like a fancy tablecloth and silverware and like extra pizza and cookies and they get super pumped and they're like, someone's not telling them do better, do better. Stop. You know, they're saying, Hey, you've tried really hard. Let's reward you. And they get super pumped. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, so oh. yeah, that's making me love Rocky even more now, though, because mm-hmm. you said before, like once he starts like training a little bit harder, getting closer to the fight, that's when other people start rooting for him when they haven't, mm-hmm. you know, for the beginning of the movie. Like literally there's a woman in the first scene. You just hear her say, you're a bum. You're a bum. You're a bum. You know, yeah. when, hey, Rocky, you're a bum. When you see Rocky. Screw you, creepo. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> I still love her. Sorry. Because <laughs> that was bad advice that he gave. Uh, but you see him. He's still, he doesn't, he takes it to heart and it hurts his feelings, but he still treats other people the same way he always would have, you know. There, even there's like the little mm-hmm. thing where he like, pulls the the drunk guy off of the street and brings him into the bar and sets him down yep. you know mm-hmm. and even though people are Lloyd Kaufman <laughs> people is that really that's Lloyd Kaufman yeah <laughs> wow. I didn't even notice that <laughs> that's crazy <laughs> but you still see him treating other people the way that he always would even though he's not getting yeah. that back right that's a great quality to have yeah. don't let that kind of stuff like bring you down and make you treat people the way that Polly does <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, one of your notes here, Mike, is we probably can't spend a ton mm-hmm. of time on this, but I am just dying to hear just a little bit more about this. Let's compare Texas Chainsaw so- Massacre and Rocky <laughs> for giggles. I, I just want to, so you know, you don't have to give away the, the give farm away your paper, because yeah. I know you want to write about it, but I'd love it's to hear it. It's not a fully fleshed yeah. out thought, but I'm thinking like when you when I look back at yeah. Texas Chainsaw Massacre and the way that is shot, like. Hooper shoots that like a documentary. Mm-hmm. And I actually just yeah. had this conversation mm-hmm. with a kid I counsel who loves horror movies. And I'm like, and I never discourage kids from watching. My lunch group yesterday, they told me how Insidious is the scariest movie they've ever seen. And I'm like, the kids are all right. And they hated Halloween ends. The kids are all right. Uh, so the kids are definitely all right. Um, <laughs> oh, okay. Like, this, we, this, we, where it's fun to it's it's fun to talk about that movie it's fun to talk Um, about it really is but this he's like 13 and i'm like you're too young for texas chainsaw massacre and he's like what i'm like you're not ready for that movie like either you won't get it because i watched it at 18 and i didn't get it or it's way too scary for you Mm -hmm. the way hooper shoots that movie is he shoots it like you're seeing something you're not supposed to like he has pulled back the curtain behind something very real, very visceral, very honest. And that's why that movie is so unnerving, much like a last house on the left. You're seeing something mm-hmm. that you shouldn't. And that's not what Rocky is. Mm-hmm. But the first really two and three quarter acts of Rocky are following a guy. It just feels like you're following a guy around 
with your camera in just shooting his life. You mm-hmm. kind of forget you're watching a movie because like you said, Michelle, like it's not a plot driven movie. It's just a character study of this person. And it's not only just following him, but looking at like the decay of his neighborhood, like looking at mm-hmm. these tenement housings, how everything like there's all boarded up windows and graffiti and there's nothing to do in the neighborhood, but stand on the street corner light a fire in a trash can, drink wine and sing a cappella, you know, with if you're it's sung by Frank Stallone, uh, Frank's brother. (laughs) So Uh you get this feeling that you're watching a documentary at times and not necessarily a movie, but also how in both movies, there's this economic disrepair, like basically Mm -hmm. the Sawyer's Mm -hmm. town has been decimated because the factory has closed. And it's a meatpacking factory or a slaughterhouse, by the way. And in Rocky, <laughs> the only thriving business, besides maybe the bars, the only thriving business is the meatpacking plant that Polly works at. And even then in Rocky right. too, they're laying people off. You get mm-hmm. this feeling like this is not an, a neighborhood that is going to survive. And what's going to happen to all of these people? Are they going to get displaced? What happens to Rocky if he doesn't get this opportunity? How much longer is he going to be able to survive in these conditions before he's not only breaking thumbs for Godzo, but he's doing so willingly because he's that embittered. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) That's real good. I'd be interested to see if you flesh that out. I'm going to try it. Should we talk about the final fight or what? Yeah. We got to talk about the final fight. Now, honestly, going into the movie the first time, I was shocked how little mm-hmm. of the movie mm-hmm. this is. You know, so, Mike, it looks like you've got lots of things. Again, sorry to, to take over your show. <laughs> no, like I said, this is the mm-hmm. point of these episodes. It is, is for you to take over our show. From the opening yeah. bell to the end credits, it's thir- including the credits, it's 13 minutes, less than 13 minutes. Like, it's like. 12 minutes and 30 seconds and you still have your closing credits within that 12 minutes and 30 it's almost anticlimactic the fight itself is not the point of the movie it's not it has to be there but it's not i can't overstate what helps the fights feel so grounded in real uh in a way and huge is like the coverage like the blow by blow and play by play of Stu Nahan who mm-hmm. was an LA sports broadcaster and Bill Baldwin who I believe was a Philly broadcaster they have this like really good banter okay. between yeah. the two of them it sounds like they're calling mm-hmm. a real fight it doesn't sound yeah. oh, scripted does, and i yeah. think it adds an additional gravitas to it the other thing for all of Creed's posturing for all of his, like, I'm not taking this serious. I'm coming out and dancing. I'm dressed like George Washington. You know, Joe Frazier comes out and is like, ah, don't hurt him, Rock. But you can tell, like, he probably had to, like, read his name off a cue right. card right before going out there, right? Just because he doesn't know who it is. Like, it's just like, who's this right. Who's this bum? Um, yeah. For all of Rocky's training, and you watch this training, and, like, Salone is, like, jacked by the end of this like he's built like a yep. brick shit house he he's like running sprints up and down these stairs and you really believe like this guy he has a shot like this dude he, he can whip some ass right now he's a dangerous man creed manhandles him like that opening round when he's not taking it serious 
he's dancing, he's shocking, he's jiving. You hear it in the announcer's voice. They're like, well, Creed's not at his best, but he looks pretty good. He's toying with them. And you see Rocky, like he's like, Mickey calls him an ape earlier. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, okay, you see it again. Like, he's just taking these wild swings. If Creed had Mm -hmm. trained even a little bit, it would not, this fight wouldn't have lasted. And the reason it can go yeah. the distance is not just because Rocky trained so hard, but also because Creed trained so little. I think that's important. Like, again, an 80s movie or a lesser movie from the bell, Rocky would have been going toe to toe for 15 rounds. And that would have been like he got robbed at the end. He should have won. Like, no, Creed won this fight. You can't come away from yeah. this fight thinking if it went 30 seconds longer, different story. The ref should have stopped mm-hmm. it when Creed threw that quote-unquote punch in the 15th round where he can barely flick his arm out. Any referee is stopping that fight because he can't defend himself. But, like, Creed handles him yeah. until he gets one shot and he gets it and he knocks Creed on his ass. And it's like, oh, this is why... You know, Rocky is so dangerous. I fucking love that. He gets one shot, he takes it, and Creed is on his ass for the first time. Well, then that's one of the things that's interesting about really all of the fights. And I, I watch, I rewatched one through four um, within the last 24 hours. Is Rocky kind of gets lucky in all the fights. He spends the first part of the fight getting the shit kicked out of him. And then he gets in a few lucky punches at the end is the way all the fights seem to go. But here, I I guess this one feels the Mm -hmm. most authentic of them all to me because part of it is just they're just so damn tired by the end of going at each other for 15 rounds. And, you know, I think one of my favorite lines like during this is he doesn't know this is a show. He thinks this is a fight. That's the key to it because Rocky's not going to just blow his Mm -hmm. shot he's got all of that in him he's just got that scrappiness you know it's like i have really nothing to lose because i don't have anything so i'm going to give it everything i've got and i don't know does he know that creed is probably not going to give it all he got i don't think so at first creed is by the end by the end of the second Mm -hmm. round by the end he is by the end of the second round he is he is fighting for his life At that point. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that first round, he's like... Whatever. Even when he yeah. gets knocked down, it's, he still goes back to kind of toying with him a little bit. But I think what's great, yeah. too, because you get you really only get the first two rounds and the last two rounds. So the, And you really, the half around 14 yeah. and all mm-hmm. of 15. Creed's thing was like, you're going down in three... And what I love about this movie, it doesn't make a big deal that he goes past three because that's not the point. The point is going the distance. You just get the woman with the round card and it just goes three to five to Mm -hmm. seven and you get little Uh snippets. Mm -hmm. Um, If you want to see a real Rocky fight, it's on YouTube. Find Marvin Hagler, Thomas Hearns, The War. It is literally like watching a Rocky fight. And you will see what that kind of fighting does and how long it lasts. It ain't very long. Yeah. It is like the opening right. round is the greatest round in boxing history. They literally treat it like a Rocky fight and just pound the shit out of one another. It's amazing. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah. uh, Marvin Hagler is the greatest middleweight I've ever gotten to watch. Just love, loved him. Mm-hmm. Rockton Zone. The other note I had about the fight, like what... 
tears me up every time. Like when he gets knocked down on the 14th and even Mickey right. is like, just stay down, like down, down, stay, stay down. down. He doesn't want to see him get hurt anymore. This might be one of the best sinkings of the score, which the track is going the distance, um, which plays mm-hmm. throughout from the end of round two until the end of round 14. The way that is synced up, like this, he's knocked down. The score is really like minor key. It's sad. It's somber. To Rocky catching Creed in the ribs with those body blows. And like the striking of the bells Mm -hmm. synced up to Cribs ribs breaking. (laughs) And you mix that in. And you have to watch the mono mix of it on Blu-ray. If you watch it in like the updated Mm -hmm. mix, it's not very good. But, like, oh, he really caught him. Like, Creed's ribs, the excitement from Nahan and Baldwin, like, really sell that moment as well. Like, it's incredible. Like, the string, the horns, the funk, it all shouldn't work. But it's just one of my favorite bits of any music in any movie is that bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. And, you know, by the end, Rocky's like, you know, you end this fight and I'll kill you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, cut me, Mick, and all those those great moments. But also, he spends earlier in the movie. He's talking about, you know, I've been in all these yeah. fights and I never mm-hmm. got my nose broke. And then the first Breaks round of this one, he broke my yeah. nose. It is. But the thing is, they yeah. also don't make right. a big deal out of it. It's this is <laughs> yeah. an improvement, and it's and and you move on. Um, whereas I think a lot of movies since then would be like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, he broke no. his nose. That's a monumentous yeah. moment. You know? And this really <laughs> shows, this final fight really shows just how hard this is. Because one thing that my dad said last night while we were watching Creed, he was like, he said something like the boxing wasn't a sport. And like, that's all you do. It's like, um, sorry, <laughs> have you ever actually watched yeah. that before? <laughs> it's only three minutes. That's a long ass yeah, three yeah. minutes, and this—the way that they it shoot this—really uh, shows just like, yeah, like you said, like how tired they are as the rounds go on and on. Because mm-hmm. my God, the endurance that it takes to make it through all yeah. fifteen mm-hmm. rounds—it used to be fifteen, is now twelve now because they found out it was too dangerous. Like after twelve rounds, yeah, that takes a lot, and I think that's why it's so important that that was his goal was just to make it because that is a hard thing to do, especially with an opponent like mm-hmm. Creed. I think that's the perfect goal for him to have, not to win, but just to make it because right now he can do anything yeah. and he and he does pretty much. Yeah, as the movies go on. Yeah, you know, I was saying it's three minutes. I thought, oh, <laughs> I used to do circuit training <laughs> where you just go hard for three minutes and then you take a one minute break. That's what that's what boxing and then you is. Go again. That's yeah. <laughs> that is. Anyone who thinks that's not a sport and that's not hard needs to try that. Just do that. It is, at first at least, you will die. I mean, it is so hard to do. And then you do it for an hour and it's like, okay, I'm I'm ready to. Throw up. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's terrible. So that's why I don't do circuit training anymore. Uh, But anyway. And in a way, he does kind of win the fight to me. And in fact, okay, so they say, and this might be me misunderstanding boxing ruling but they say that creed wins by split decision yep which means if a boxing bout goes all 15 rounds then it's a judges there's the three judges make the decision Mm -hmm. so a split decision means that two judges said that apollo won and at least one judge said that rocky won the fight it was scored one in his favor which i want to think that's important (laughs) yeah he (laughs) at least one scorecard was ahead which that might be questionable at least one professional (laughs) judge (laughs) 
thought mm-hmm. that he yeah. won the fight against this pro. Right. And that's, that's pretty amazing. And I think it's pretty clear, like, if that fight went, and it's a credit to Creed as a champion, he has no, he can't breathe. I mean, like, mm-hmm. his ribs mm-hmm. are shattered. And he can't right. throw a punch by the end of the 15th round, but he stays up. So it's a credit to Creed as a champ. Like, you know, it's Duke wants to stop the fight. Like, you're bleeding inside. Let's stop this thing, knowing he'd get a rematch and then be able to kind of probably easily recapture the title given how he would train, or that would be the thinking. Mm-hmm. That fight goes 20 more seconds, and he's he's done. I mean, he's out. Yeah. He, it should have mm-hmm. been stopped. Probably should have been stopped in Creed's favor. Five or six wreck. I don't think that fight is going the distance in, in right. reality. Right. Um, right. Right. Yeah. But it's not the point. And I think at the end, they no. say, like, not going to be a rematch. Like, don't want mm-hmm. one. And everything is stripped away. And you, all you have is Rocky and Adrian in the middle of that ring, surrounded by all this chaos. And you've got the horns going. And the first time they tell each other they love them. And it's like right. the, it's like yeah. the end of it's a wonderful life for me. Yeah. Like the water, it really right. is. <laughs> They're announcing dark. Creed as the winner in the background, yep. but you don't you're, you hear it, but you don't you barely really care hear because it. yeah, right. It's not the point. It, the yeah, point is yeah, that's not yep. what matters. Yeah, he did what no one thought he could do, and he and like really the one person who truly believed in him is there with him, and everything else is just frivolous at that point. So, and I don't know, that's kind of a beautiful metaphor for life. So. It is. Yeah. Oh, this movie's perfect. Yeah. It really, it really I fucking love this movie. It, it's a wonderful movie. It's so good. Okay. So one of the things we do, we tend to throw in something a little different mm-hmm. after our discussion. And so we thought, we've talked a little bit about the series. So maybe each of us can give our informal uh. rankings of uh, of the Rocky franchise, you know, <laughs> as as best we can. Okay. You know, for me, I kind of like all of them. Yeah. I do in too. Some ways, so, yeah. I went back mm-hmm. to my uh, my original letterbox from my marathon. Is like, I, I pretty much rated them pretty close to the same. There's a couple that I favored, but... I liked them all when I watched them. Who wants to go first? I'll go. Why not? I love to hear the sound of my own voice. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So obviously I have part one is my first number one. I mean, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I have three is my second favorite. I think I'm not going by what's the better movie, but like just for pure rewatchability. It's Club of mm-hmm. Mr. T is fucking awesome in that movie. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. I Pain. just want to recreate the, hey, woman, you know, just once in my life, give the speech when he, like, hits on Adrian. <laughs> Why don't you come with me and see what a real man looks like? I just wish I had the opportunity to use that at some point. Um, <laughs> it's kind of impossible to explain, like, Mr. T to... Like what? Like there was a period in the eighties where this large black man with a mohawk that wore a ton of gold chains and feathers in his ear was like the biggest celebrity in America, and everybody <laughs> like would have dinner with the president on a routine basis. Like, and we all loved yeah. him. You know, it's really hard to. God, I loved Mr. I still love Mr. T. My best Christmas gift yeah. I ever got was a ceramic bust of Mr. T's head. And I don't know. Oh, I lost nice. it at some point. I used to just bring it no. with me wherever I went. Um, so three That's is my amazing. second favorite. Balboa. And again, better made than three. But uh, just but Balboa is my third favorite. Four, just for the 
nostalgia, schmaltz factor. Mm-hmm. Two, and two drops more and more every time I watch it, because it mm. really is a retread of, it's really like Rocky again, but this time he wins, and Stallone right. directs it, and he is not, yeah. at this stage, you really see a drop-off in the direction compared mm-hmm. to the first one. And I have five as my least favorite. I wonder if I rewatch five, which Alvinson did return for. Yeah. I just think I have a hard time. Like Rocky has brain damage and is poor because Polly blew all his money in a Ponzi scheme. I think that's a struggle for me. Although the fight at the end and the things with like Mickey, the little flashbacks mm-hmm. are pretty awesome. So yeah. I got to do a rewatch again. Yeah. What about Creed and yeah. Creed 2? I don't have them as Rocky movies because they're Creed movies. I think that he's a side character and I don't, yeah, I do have those separate and I haven't seen, I I need to watch Creed too. I don't know why I haven't. Um, Oh, I think you'll like Creed I know that I'm going to love it and I don't know why I haven't because the first Creed is just an incredible piece of filmmaking. It's awesome. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. So Michelle. Oh, okay. I mean, I don't, I've only. I'm going to make watched... you go first because mine's going to be controversial. <laughs> oh, and you're I bet. Hate me after I say it. Okay. I mean, I don't really know for sure because I've only watched most of these once and like three years ago. But if memory serves, I would put Rocky's number one, and then probably four. I love four, Balboa, and then I include Creed as part of the the franchise. Um, so do probably Creed. Creed 2 is really good, too. I don't know. Oh, gosh. This is hard. Three, two, no, three, Creed 2, Rocky 2, 5. I'll say that. Okay. <laughs> I don't really know what that was. Okay. No, that, that's <laughs> from, fine. That's from fine. memory, that's that's what I enjoyed the most. I like what you said. Sounds when we ranked good. these, they're all entertaining. Like, Oh, absolutely. Are. I loved them all. I was like, yeah. even 5, I was like, I like this one, too. What's the deal? Yeah. Yeah. So my favorite is the first one. And then I'm going to flip around because, and I haven't seen it in a while, but watching two yesterday, I kind of am with you. It went down a little bit. So Balboa is going to yeah. be my number two. Balboa is great. And then Rocky two, then Creed one, Creed two. What do I have left? Okay. Three. And then this is where it gets controversial. Five. And four in last place. (laughs) Whoa. Yeah. I know. You really were raised by communists. Oh, my God. You're putting five above Dolph Lundgren. I am. Well, (laughs) technically, Dolph Lundgren is in Creed, too. So I just like what (sighs) they do with with that whole Drago thing so much more in Creed 2 than in Rocky 4. He beats Um, communism. He ends the Cold War. He ends the Cold War single-handedly. I know. Um, But I... I don't know what it is about four. It just I misses it. me. I love it. it <laughs> I mean, I don't know if it's the robot. I don't. It's it's just, it's a lot. It is so. It is so eighties. It has the all so many montages. So many. I montages. think it's hard when you watch them back to back to back. Yeah. And you see yeah. the first one, and then six hours yeah. later, you're like, "This is what it became." Like it's kind of like when you watch. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's shocking. When you watch like First Blood, and then you watch Rambo yeah. three, and he's single handedly. Yeah. <laughs> ending the conflict in Afghanistan and you're like, what? right, right. Um, I would say yeah. if you get a chance, there is Rocky for Rocky versus Drago, which came out yeah. a couple years ago, which is the one I haven't, I haven't seen that. Cut it's yet. A, 
it's not like we're a director's cut where you're like, you know, you have the alien director's cut and it adds like 10 minutes of footage. It's actually a whole different cut of the movie. Like I was remember watching that thinking like, I don't remember any of this from Rocky four. And it is like a almost completely different movie. I kind of like it when director's cuts do Mm -hmm. that. Cause like, there's a director's cut of Alien that is not really a director's cut. It's an alternate yeah. cut that Ridley Scott did. He prefers the right. original version, but he but he made that other one at a request. Yeah, he liked the paycheck know, of, the of making the... Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. He's like, I prefer and, the original it, cut, but I also really like the paycheck that Fox gave me. To- yeah. Yeah, and I got to say, that alternate cut is interesting, mm-hmm. you know, because it's a different movie. And so I, I think I would be fascinated to see that. I, I like a lot of Rocky Four. Don't get me wrong. I like a lot of it. But there's just enough that just makes me crazy that I'm just struggling. Just with. admit you were rooting for Drago. Just admit I, it. Oh, yeah. You know, when Apollo Creed dies, you're super pumped. You're like, yes, capitalism. Right. Well, what's funny is, is in, in Creed 2, they give so much more depth to his character. Mm-hmm. You know, the consequences of losing that fight. Um, are just completely devastating. And that's kind of where it starts. Yeah. And I love that about Creed 2. I think it does so much more with the character than... That's part of my problem is after watching Rocky and you're seeing all... You know, these characters and their interactions are so valuable where as, by Rocky 4, it's like they don't matter. Right. There's a couple of moments that I really like where like Drago is seeing the whole spectacle in Vegas and it's just kind of confused at what the hell is going on uh, or seems to be. I love all that stuff, uh, but I just wish they had done more to give him something besides, I must break you. You know, uh, that kind yeah. of thing. That's the difference between the late 70s filmmaking, where like it's about character, Absolutely. there's no real villain. It's about a situation. Yeah. And the 80s were like, no, we need faceless boogeymen to overcome. Yep. Yep. Like Avin Drago. I don't think Drago is even really the real villain of Fours, the people that created him and helped right. create him, which is why I sort of felt sorry for Drago and I watched Sure. Before. It's kind of a Frankenstein mm-hmm. movie yeah. if you think about it. So, anyway. All right. Well, there we go. Rocky. Woo! What a great movie. What a great movie to revisit and uh, come back to, you know, as often as possible, right? Okay, well, Mike, uh, do you have anything coming out that you'd like to sure. share? Well, this will be hitting in a... I'm going to try and get this out a couple weeks okay. from now. Brian is part of our regular crew, and Michelle has guested before as well on my primary show. I have like two shows I run, and one is The Pod and the Pendulum, uh, where we cover horror movie franchises. So we are... We're going to hit 200 episodes uh, by summer of this year, it looks like. Uh, by the time this hits, we should be just starting our coverage of The Purge. So we've okay. just wrapped Phantasm. We'll be deep into The Purge films. Uh, and that's a, a show where we like go one movie at a time and we dig, kind of look, look like we did right here, dig into the background, the themes, the character, and try to do... You know, we're not like a trivia based show and we're not one that's going to say and then this happened and then this happened where all you get is a recap of the plot. Um, I am very fortunate to be surrounded by co-hosts that are much more intelligent than me that for some reason still come on every week to talk uh, about these horror movies. So part of the pendulum everywhere you get your 
podcast. My other show is called Psychoanalysis, a horror therapy podcast, where is a licensed counselor. I love looking at the link between horror movies and mental health. And along with my co-hosts, Jen Adams and Lara Undersall, we examine different topics in mental health through genre films. And Jen and Laura are both currently taking a hiatus for a bit while they take care of themselves. So once again, I've been very fortunate to have like a rotating crew step in to help in the interim. January was our COVID month. We did Host and The Harbinger and looked back at COVID. February, when this hits, it's Bad Romance Month. We'll be doing an American <laughs> Werewolf in London, X and Possession. So we have nice. some like really good yeah. titles lined up for that as yeah. well. Awesome. And where can we find you online? Sure. If you if you so desire to be followed. So if you want to follow me over at Hive and at Letterboxd, go over, find me at Mike Chump Change. Gearing up for some new announcements, we might do like a limited Bobcat Goldwaith limited series podcast with some friends later this year. His <laughs> nice. directing oeuvre. Um but Letterboxd and oh god, love that movie. Yeah. Letterboxd and Hive over at Mike Chump Change, Twitter and Instagram at Mike underscore Snoonian. I don't really have a lot of consequence to say online. I am. Um, I sure. just either promote the show or just post absolute stupidity uh, most of the time. So if I'm not selling that as a follow, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know. Neither Michelle or I are all that uh, active on social media at the moment either. Nope. So we, we get it. We get it. So Yeah, so pretty much um, the only place you can find me really is on Instagram now. Just Michelle Aiken over there. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter, Letterboxd, and uh, Instagram at BrianWaves42. And the show is at MovieLifePod on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, again, Mike, thanks for coming on. This is yeah. an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you for having me. I've wanted to talk about this movie forever. So Yeah, I know. Glad we were finally able to make it work out. And it was wonderful to talk to you as yeah. always. Okay, so Michelle, what are we going to do? We will see you all next time. <laughs> <laughs>